Fueled by Temperance Spirits, Edmonton's leading non-alcoholic beverage provider. Order online for doorstep delivery. Welcome back to Game Over Edmonton, your local leader in post-game Oilers analysis. In this episode, it's fueled by Temperance Spirits, the city's leading non-alcoholic beverage provider. Visit Temperance online for a curated section of non-alcoholic options. Choose from a variety of craft beers, mocktails, wines, and spirits. Temperance isn't just a retailer. It's a community of Edmontonians who celebrate the spirit of socializing without the need for alcohol. And with Temperance Spirits online shop, ordering your favorite non-alcoholic bevies right to your door is as easy as Connor scoring the winning goal. You can find our partners at Temperance online at www.temperance-spirits.com for delivery to your door. And use the code SDPN for 10% off your order at checkout. And give them a follow on Instagram and Facebook at Temperance Spirits. Yo, 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 yo. Game Over Edmonton is live on SDPN. And folks, they won. They won a game on the road. <laughs> We're coming to you live from the house of Avery Lewis McDougall here. The Edmonton Oilers knocked off the Washington Capitals. Five, nothing. And well, I got to say first off the bat, I am very impressed with this team. Had a phenomenal start. Peppering Troy Lindgren. Making life tough for him as Edmonton gets their first win on, a ro- on this road trip of the southeast part of the USA. Better late than never. And we are welcoming to the podcast, to the show, to recap things, a first-time guest on Game Over Edmonton from Daily Hive Edmonton. It is Preston Hodgkinson. Welcome to the show. Preston, how are you doing? Welcome to the podcast today. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Uh, a lot happier now uh, that I get to talk about a, a 5 nothing win rather than a, a defeat here. So uh, I think I'm in some rare territory this season that we can actually talk about a win. So happy to be here. <laughs> it's true. And Preston, you know, Edmonton started off in this game. They got a 2 nothing lead. That was a common theme throughout this entire road trip. Edmonton being up 2 nothing against Florida. 2-zip against yeah. Tampa. And here against Washington, they don't blow it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know it's uh it's weird that uh, we're we're watching a, a hockey team where you almost don't want them to get a two nothing lead because we've seen them blow it so many times. So I know I wasn't really sitting comfortable with that two nothing lead in the first period, but you know once they started to get three, four, you know I started to lay back a little bit. Glad that they were able to finally uh, fight their demons here and uh, hold the lead for once. No, exactly. It's funny because you're here now on a on a game day in which Edmonton wins. And the common theme for game over Edmonton on SDPN is that the numbers usually go far higher when this team loses. So I'm seeing a dip now because people love just seeing the chaos of people reacting. So it's kind of funny how Edmonton wins and numbers are kind of dipping right now for live viewership. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, anytime you have a a Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and they're, they're looking dejected, they're giving each other those like sympathy pats on the bench like we've seen in Carolina yesterday you know people people eat that up they want to they, they love to hate on Edmonton they love to to talk about uh you know McDavid wanting out so uh hopefully this is the start of a brand new trend where we can start talking about uh you know Car McDavid as he usually is um and he was dominant tonight I believe he had four or four assists tonight so hopefully we can start talking about that a little bit more no exactly mentioned Car McDavid he has a big gun all had major nights tonight multi-point nights from McDavid, Dreisaitl, uh, Randy Hopkins. Like, this was a night in which, for a long time this year, we've been saying, where the, like, where have been the big guns? 
stepping up consistently. And you got that from all the key cogs in that Oilers top six forward group stepping up in a major way, Preston, tonight. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, Tyler McDavid, it's, it's strange. It was a strange start to the season for him. Obviously, he wasn't 100% for a lot of it. And uh, that's the numbers that we come to expect from McDavid weren't there. So I know it might seem a little cliche to be sitting here and being like, well, look at Connor McDavid. He looks so good these last <laughs> few games. And again, tonight, like I said, another fantastic night. But it just truly looks like he's starting to find his stride here. You know, mm-hmm. um, he's 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 looking like the Connor McDavid we know and love. He's starting to put up those points. He's starting to be that leader on the ice. So it's it's uh, it's very nice, obviously, for the, the Oilers to, to seemingly have their captain back uh Firing on on all cylinders, and hey, dry settle too. Like yes. that 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 second goal on the power play, I believe, or the first goal on the power play, mm-hmm. where they did that backhand to forehand move. I like that was such a refreshing sight for Oilers fans. No, of course, well, you mentioned the power play right there. Something that had struggled quite a bit on this road trip. Edmonton gets three power play goals. We saw the ferocity of the power play last season. Getting the power play back again—that's the scary thing if you're an opposing team, knowing that. This power play might find clicking again like it was for all of last season, Preston. Oh, yeah. No, and this isn't just this game. You look at back at the third period of the, the Carolina game, the Oilers were able to get power play marker to, to cut the lead to 5-3. So mm. it's over the last four periods here. It looks like the team has been uh, firing on all cylinders here. The power play is looking like that dangerous power play, that NHL best ever power play that we saw last year. So um, I don't know what was said in the second intermission of that Carolina Hurricanes game, <laughs> but man, oh man, it's it's got their power play back on track and the, the whole team back on track um, recently here. So, yeah. Right. No, it's, it's been amazing. And then, of course, again, someone who I've, I've supported for quite some time, and I would say in a way he's right now, for the time being, one of the more polarizing orders has been Evan Bouchard, and we've seen, we've seen all kinds of takes on Evan Bouchard from, oh, trade him, oh, send him to Bakersfield, send him to Fiji. Like, I'm very much in the aspect of, like, no, you do not, you do not win any trade dumping Evan Bouchard. And, yes, there have been times this year in which Evan has had issues on the back end, but he makes up for it more offensively. And once again today, we see Evan Bouchard from the point that slap shot beat Trey Lindgren. This is what Evan Bouchard can bring you so well as an offensive defenseman. He saw it again today. Oh, no, absolutely. Like, I, I agree with you 100% that you cannot trade Evan Bouchard. And, and let's not kid ourselves. He has struggled in the defensive zone this year. Mm. He is still a young defenseman. This is, I believe, his third full season yes. in the NHL. Mm. Um, there's, there's still going to be those um, things that he has to clean up in his zone. And I think a lot of what we're seeing here is not only Evan Bouchard struggling, but the goalie behind him is not giving him much of a chance at all. Like Evan Bouchard's a great offensive defenseman. He's never going to be that defensive stalwart that you want. He's never going to have that 100% perfect defensive game. You need a goalie to get a save in there. And when that doesn't happen, every mistake looks like it's going into the net. So I think it's skewing his numbers just a little bit. And this is a guy that's like, what, 23, 24? I can't remember his exact age right now. But um, he's on pace, like a point-per-game pace as a defenseman. He's on pace for around 80 points. That is not something you see a lot in this league from a defenseman. Obviously, Eric Carlson had 100 last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he's able to keep this pace, he'll be the first defenseman since Paul Coffey to reach that 80-point mark. And only the second Oiler defenseman in, NH- in franchise history to ever get more than 60-some. So... No, absolutely. You don't give up on this guy. It's uh, you, you get rid of him on that back end. Where's that offense coming from? 
You'll get some from Nurse. You'll get some from Ekholm, but not that sheer volume that we're seeing Bouchard uh, uh, get almost on a consistent basis this season. So, no, I, he's struggling, but absolutely, you, you see him out for a little bit here. No, exactly. And it's been, and to blame one person on that blue line is the wrong thing. I said before on this show, it's it's been the collective. You can't put the blame on one person, be it, be it a Bouchard, be it a Nurse, be it an Ekholm, be it a Dayarnay. It's funny because, What's about the defense today? It looked great defensively. They limited they limited the Washington chances, and they neutralized for the most part any real threat Washington had. I mean, look at the big names. The big names of Washington had a bunch of zeros behind their stats today. Yeah, no, and I think outside of the first period, there's a few moments in the first period where it was a uh, a little <laughs> tense. But luckily, Stuart Skinner, who I'm sure we'll talk about uh, quick here, mm-hmm. uh, had a fantastic game himself and the limited chances that he did face. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I think the team looked very sound defensively for the, the for the most part here. And uh, uh, that's just one game, though. You got to string it together. So while it's positive right now, we can be happy about uh, <laughs> the team settling things down. I mean, Washington's no slouch this year. They mm-hmm. won five straight coming into this one, and the Oilers beat them 5 nothing. So uh, yeah. be happy about it. Build on it. Hopefully you can string this into another streak here and, and work your way towards a 500 record because right now they're still six games back of that. No, it's true. And of course, this road trip wasn't what this team wanted. Of course, you want to see this team uh, get more than one win on a road trip. But end of the day, this team needs points somewhere with the way the division is going, with the way the fact you mentioned right there, the fact you are still chasing in the Pacific Division, uh, Anaheim, Vancouver. you got to find a way to take points we can get them right now. Yeah, and with the next game being against the Anaheim Ducks, I'm sure if you asked an Oilers fan, two, three months ago, what they thought about this uh, upcoming game against the Anaheim Ducks, I think uh, we'd be having a very different conversation. Obviously, the Ducks are off to a a better-than-expected start, and the Oilers are off to a way worse uh, start than everyone expected as well. So kind of roles reversed here, but you can't... uh... You can't look at the, the this Anaheim Ducks team as someone that you can just easily roll over. They, they, they're they pretty decent this season. I don't think they'll make the playoffs, but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's going to be uh, a long hill to climb to get up this division, even though this division is looking like one of the weaker ones in the league. So, You know what? Even though the Pacific Division, you can say, is one of the weaker ones, it's still, to me, and always been for a very long time, the most entertaining one because of that fact, because it is pure chaos because you don't know you, you cannot prognosticate this division in terms of what's going to happen really outside of the Vegas Golden Knights like again people really saw the division being what one two three in most predictions Vegas and a combination of two three Edmonton Calgary people didn't see when the season began the teams behind Vegas being Anaheim and Vancouver that wasn't anybody's prediction really <laughs> no and uh, i think one of the things that makes the pacific division so entertaining <laughs> is that uh not only are the lows very low with like the likes of the the oilers and, and san jose sharks being among the bottom third in the league uh, bottom third teams in the league um but the highs are also very high like you got the the vancouver canucks and the mm. vegas golden knights are among the best performing teams in the nhl right now so you're getting a little bit of everything uh and then obviously the uh the Anaheim Ducks and the Calgary Calgary Flames that are kind well, of so, middle of the yeah. pack. LA is also very mm-hmm. good. Uh, I tried to block them out for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe his last two playoff rounds. I don't really like to give him credit, but <laughs> but they are they, that's a, the top three in the, the division right now are are fantastic, and it's going to be hard for the Oilers to overcome the start and you know try to get into that top three pack. There, the, the, right now, the team might just be focused on okay, we got to get into a wild card spot. Once we do that. 
let's see if we can push. Like we've seen the Oilers last few seasons have fantastic second halves of the season. They're going to need that in a, a little bit more here. It's not going to magically, they're going to be second, third in the division overnight here. It's going to be a season long effort to get back to that point. No, of course. And you're going to need more than just one good game in which this team plays a full 60 minutes. I mean, great. Yes. You beat you beat um, Washington. You shut down that team, who's one of the better ones in the Eastern Conference. But you mentioned there, you're gonna have to do it again now against Anaheim and now against after Anaheim. They're playing Vegas now. They're next. They're, they're playing a bunch of teams after this game against uh, Washington that are either in their conference or in their division. You're gonna need a lot more of those games again, like tonight, which it's a full 60 and not just a good 25-40. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's going to be a good litmus test. I find, um, you know, a lot of people said that this uh, road trip on the East Coast was uh, very important. And considering the state of the, the team and the record going into the road trip, it obviously was. Didn't turn out that great. But this upcoming um, homestand, these next two games, I think is almost an even better litmus test because we get to see how this team stacks up against uh, not only the the best in our division in the Vegas Golden Knights, and the but the best in the league as well and a team that they will have to overcome in the Anaheim Ducks in their division. So I think this will say a lot about this team and how they perform over these next two games. It really will be. And of course, on the back end, you know, we've seen the we've seen the biggest story right now, I would say in hockey, is Edmonton and goaltending. What are they going to do? Are they going to keep rolling with Skinner and and, and, and um, Pickett or uh, Picard? Are they going to trade for somebody? And today, Stuart Skinner, one called upon, gets a shutout. Make some big saves. I know he didn't have the busiest type like Charlie Lindgren, but he still made some strong 10-bell saves to deny the Capitals in tight. Yeah, no, a fantastic bounce-back effort is exactly what you want to see from Skinner, especially following that horrendous start in Carolina. Uh, Stuart Skinner is a good goalie. We've seen how he can play. We've seen that he can be a number one goalie in this league. And uh, obviously he's still young. There's the sophomore slump you have to take into account that uh, seems to to mystify players in their second year. Um, but tonight showed, or today, I guess, it's an early game. Today showed that um, Skinner, Stuart Skinner can be a good NHL goalie here. Who's um, just going through a bad start. Obviously it's magnified when the team is doing as poorly as it is, but uh yeah, hopefully this is the start of something good for him. Hopefully he can string together another couple wins. We've seen him do it earlier this month on that three-game win streak. Things kind of fell off uh, at the end here in the last three games as well, though. So hopefully it looked good tonight. Um, hopefully he continues. No, of course. You know, I agree, too. I said before here on this show, I like Stuart Skinner a lot in terms of what he's done. And again, he's still a young goaltender. There's still things for him to figure out. It's a sophomore slump. I'm not ready to punt on Stuart Skinner when we've seen goaltenders bounce back in year three and year four, and there's still time for Stewart to rebound, I just really feel like he's going to need a better tandem partner going forward the rest of the year. And be it, be it someone like a Samuel Maltenblow, be it, a, be it a Jake Allen or somebody else when this team does decide to trade for a second goaltender. Yeah, and that's kind of where the league is heading, right? You don't, you can't just run one goaltender like you, you were able to maybe a decade ago. You need mm-hmm. two solid goaltenders. And right now, the others don't have that, so the only option they have is uh, running Skinner into the ground, and he's shown <laughs> last season, we've seen uh, near the end of the year and into the playoffs, you know, those cracks started to form. The fatigue started to set in, and it, it didn't look good. It was uh, probably probably made that LA series a little more uh, tense than it should have, right? And then, we obviously, the, the Vegas se- series didn't go quite as well for him as, as well. So, um, 
yeah, right now the team is kind of stuck. I don't think Picard, he's looked okay mm-hmm. at times in his two appearances with the Oilers, but he's not the long-term guy. It's no, obviously exactly. not a guy that should be here the entire season. There's lots of talk among the Oilers that they want to give uh, Jack Campbell another try. And, you know, he did get a <laughs> shutout in his last AHL start. Um, if you want to bank on that and ignore the entire other sample size he's given for the Oilers the last two seasons, Go for it. It's but it's it's not gonna it's not gonna be that uh, surefire solution. So it seems like the Oilers are a little more inclined to to be patient with Campbell in a time where patience is is uh, near the the amount of patience that the Oilers fan base has and the Oilers season has right. to turn around is near zero. So it will be interesting to see if um, Ken Holland can uh, try to upgrade or if he's just going to roll with Skinner here and, and see if the season uh, magically turns around. Like, this team has really put themselves against the eight ball when it comes to the contracts and the deals. And you mentioned right there the Jack Campbell situation where, yes, he does have a shutout uh, against Henderson. But before that, his save percentage was, what, below 820? Like, if you're going to call Campbell back up, I need to see more performances like that in the AHL before going, oh, one shutout, bring him back. Like, I don't think, I need more recovery from him than that. Yeah, and I think you're not alone in that. I don't think a lot of fans think that giving Jack Campbell another chance <laughs> here to figure things out is the best course of action. Um, you know, if the Oilers were going to punt this season and say, you know what, this is a wash, I can see it. Why not? If they were rebuilding, sure, give your guy another chance. But this is a team with Stanley Cup aspirations still. This is a season they can't afford to punt on. They have superstars Leon Dreisel, Carr McDavid. Their contracts are up in a few years. Missing the playoffs right now would be seemingly just put a large dent in their chances of trying to re-sign those guys, right? That's what logic would dictate. Those are two guys that want to win. And if they can't win right now, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a very risky bet. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not a fan of the, the, the give Jack Campbell another chance to take the crease. But at this point, if they can't find a trade and they're determined on not overpaying for a trade, which is probably what they'll have to do because teams are going to be all over a desperate Oilers team, it's going to be dicey to say the least, I think. No, of course. When you're when you're to the Oilers, teams don't throw your life jackets. They throw your boat anchors after boat anchors. Oh, yeah. like, they don't, they're no one's going to bail you out. Like, I've, you know, I've heard agents before have said, you know, don't help the Oilers out. Like, no one wants to see this team succeed. So if there was a trade to be had, for Ken Holland, he's not in theory going to quote unquote win that trade for a goaltender. Yeah, and you know what? It's 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 like a damned if you do, damned if you don't type of situation. Like uh, if he's just if Ken Holland just sits back and says, "Well, we'll call up uh, Jack Campbell," and he calls it a day, and things go sideways, is is not going to be a good look. If he goes out and uh, blows a bunch of assets and uh, on on a, a new goaltender, say a Sam Montembeau or a, a Jake Allen. Um, and it doesn't work out, it's going to look bad too. If uh, either of those situations turn out great, then it's a, it's a different conversation. So it's, it's a difficult position to be in, but I, I definitely don't think the, the right idea or the right plan for the Oilers moving forward here is to just sit on their hands and magically hope uh, or hope that uh, Jack Campbell magically regains form here. So yeah, I think desperate times call for desperate measures. So I think you, you have to roll the dice here on a, on a new goaltender. Right. No, I agree. Going back to the game here today, Preston, were there any? Of course, we talked about the play of guys like Drysaddle, uh, McDavid, um, Randy Hopkins. Was there one player that you felt didn't get? A, was there one underrated player you felt today that stepped up that we didn't really hear about that much? That in the background had a solid game in your mind today. 
Uh, yeah, I, I, I like the, the, the top six guys. I think uh, all all three of them had a goal, I believe. Did Zach Hyman have a goal tonight? Uh, feels he, like he did. Yes, I'm. I'm at a goal. Yeah, Zach Hyman, Evander Kane, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. They they all score goals tonight, and that's exactly what you want to see. Obviously, they're the top six guys. You can't have just uh, Car McDavid and Leon Drysettel getting all the points out there. So it was nice to see that uh, uh, all three of them were able to contribute on the score sheet. Uh, Evander Kane, uh, I have to specifically shout out. I was all over him at the beginning of the season. His uh, his underlying analytics were. Terrible. He looked like he was a drag on the ice for uh, guys like McDavid. And he's uh, since the the Heritage Classic, he's really turned it around. He's mm-hmm. scoring goals. He's looking good out there. He's getting engaged physically, which is a, par- a critical part of his game. So, um, yeah, I'm going to say uh, Evander Kane is, is a player I've been very impressed with lately. And hey, Zach Hyman, too. Like he's been it seems like he's scoring every game now. <laughs> um, so uh, I think he's on pace for like a career high in goals. He could score 40 this year if he keeps that pace. So, uh I think he's kind of quietly having himself a, a great uh, month of November here while the team is struggling. So, yeah, I would say those two guys. Yeah, no, Zach Hyman, yeah. Kane and Hyman have been two players who I've been impressed for since Heritage Classic. They've been stepping up in many ways. When we have not seen the production, as usual, from McDavid and Drysdale, those have been two of the key cogs that definitely deserve their props for what they've done to help keep this offense afloat, even during some dire times early this season, Preston. Yeah, no, and uh, I think on the back end, too, we're starting to see uh, Matias Ekholm be a little more uh, back to his old self as well. Obviously, he didn't start the season 100% injured uh, before training camp. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's looking like he's uh, getting more engaged out there. He's starting to lay the body. He's starting to get some points up on the board. He scored once against uh, Carolina, I believe. So mm-hmm. that will be huge for the team as well to have him and uh, Bouchard firing on all cylinders. And um, yeah, no, I think... Uh, there's there's lots of positives to be to be hand. It's just been a kind of an unlucky few months for the Oilers too. Yeah, no, it has you mentioned you mentioned T. Sackle me right again. You know he he was a guy we all knew needed some time to get recovered because he didn't play preseason games. He was recovering, but even against Carolina, you saw him getting his stick in front of passing lanes, breaking up play. You saw it again today when Matias Ekholm is fully healthy. Like that is the thing that he brings that made him such a uh, solid player. For Nashville, and I made him one of the better D-men Edmonton, the fact that he can get in passing lanes and break up chances and be a nuisance to play against on zone entries. Yeah, and he's he's outside of Darnell Nurse. He's the the player on the back end with the most uh, oomph to his game, I think, as well, right? You don't want to go into the corner with uh, Matias Ekholm. Uh, obviously, there was the uh, the incident with TJ Oshie that I think was yeah. completely accidental mm. today, but it just shows just how solid of a guy this guy is. They just ran into each other and Oshi took the brunt of it and it, right. it didn't look good. So it just gives you an idea of how just solid of a, a player and frame that uh, Ekholm has. And if he can, can get back to his um, old defensive self, um, it will be magnificent for the Oilers back end and for the defensive situation as well. Yeah, no, I, I cannot agree more. And with this win here, again, like, this is a thing that used to be was kryptonite for a very long time. I'm sure you, you are Preston. Empty Oilers, winning games before 4 p.m. Eastern time. No matter who it was against, especially in the East Coast, no matter who it was, if it, it was a game before 4 p.m. Eastern, it was a guaranteed lost night. It was a guaranteed 5-1, 3-0, 7 drubbing. And I'm glad this team has finally figured out how to win games that start before the sun goes down in the Eastern time zone. <laughs> <laughs> the sun's almost down here too so uh, i don't know just the eastern time zone i think we have a 4 30 uh mountain sun sunset here so uh 
but yeah, no, it's uh, it's fantastic <laughs> that we can uh, watch an Oilers game before four o'clock hits here in Edmonton yeah. and uh, not be upset all night and uh, have that in the back of our minds. Instead, we get to to have, put a smile on our face, uh, rejoice a little bit, uh, be happy, and uh, take home a, f- a five nothing victory where everyone played good, uh, like we were discussing. Good defensive zone uh, play, good offensive zone, good contributions from the big guns, and Stuart Skinner got his much-needed first shutout of the season. So, uh, yeah, no, it's very nice that uh, we can uh, uh, bring out the alcohol in a positive way on a Friday <laughs> night. And and again, and, and it's probably the first time in a very long time I know we're all online that Ola's Twitter is is somewhat in harmony. Ola's Twitter can be very we've seen for many years. Ola's Twitter can be a very volatile place. Nice to see <laughs> not as much drama after yeah. Ola's game tonight. <laughs> yeah, no, I uh it's funny you say that. I got to experience a little bit of that volatile Twitter atmosphere yesterday. I posted a I wrote an article on uh Ethan Bear potentially being an option for the Oilers if they want a cheap uh a way to shake up their defense. I think I got like 80 replies and uh, I, don't, I don't even want to read them here. <laughs> there were some choice words for me uh, for that suggestion. So, uh, yeah. You know, I find that so odd that there's opposition because I, you know, when he was here at Edmonton, he was a solid defender. So I would not be opposed to bringing him back. I guess it'd be more, it really would depend more on if he'd want to come back. But if he oh, had yeah. a willingness to come back to Edmonton, in a heartbeat, I'd bring him back. In a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. From from a purely hockey standpoint, it makes all a world of sense to to at least phone uh, Ethan Bear's agent and see if there's interest. Obviously, from how everything transpired with how he left, there might be some hesitancy to come back into the market. But it, it just he he would be a welcome addition here. You, I don't think a lot of people pay attention to to how he was used in Vancouver last year. He spent the majority of his time playing with Quinn Hughes yeah. on that top pairing. Like he played in a top pairing role last year in the NHL and had pretty decent results with Hughes. Even though you know Vancouver's defense last year was kind of leaky at times, but that doesn't take away that the on ice uh, uh, analytics with uh, Hughes and Bear were were pretty positive. So. Yeah, you know, there's a big history between Bear and Nurse. I think they've had over, over 1,400 minutes together here at Edmonton. So there's a familiarity there. He could jump in. Uh, it's a bit risky because he's coming off such a long injury. But, mm-hmm. um, hey, I, I can't imagine he'd cost that much on a, new, on a contract. So why not give a call? Why not see it? You could maybe rejig your, your defensive pairs. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's something worth exploring. I wasn't saying absolutely 100% they should do it, but I think it's absolutely something that uh, could be in the interest of the team. Yeah, why not? And you mentioned the cheap deal. I mean, we know this team is up against it when it comes to the salary cap. Yeah, bringing Ethan there on the cheap with the money you have left, why not go for it? He's not going to be a guy that's going to break your bank right now. Yeah, if things go sideways, um, you know, there's a you don't have to sign him to like a, a five-year deal. <laughs> Um, just sign him to a one-year deal if he if he accepts, and and then uh, if things go sideways and part ways in the summer or something like that. Again, this is all assuming that he'd be open to that mm-hmm. something like that. Um, I know there's been reports that teams like the Vancouver Canucks are going to be aggressive in signing him. Um, so maybe he finds a better deal there. But I think just checking in on him uh, couldn't hurt at all. And uh, speaking of uh, the team being low on cap, it's part of the reason why I kind of suspect that uh, the Oilers might consider Yaroslav Halak on a, on a on a cheap one-year deal as well. I don't necessarily agree with it. I think that uh, that brings all sorts of risks. I'm not even confident he's an upgrade on uh, <laughs> Stuart Skinner, but just because of the ease of it, right? You, all you have to do is sign him to a one-year deal. He's obviously desperate for a contract. He was on a PTO in Carolina and was released. 
all you have to do is call him and say, hey, want to play in Edmonton for the rest of the season for 850000 bucks, right? Uh, then, then if that happens, Ken Holling can throw his hands up and be like, look, I found a new guy, right? <laughs> Whether it works out or not, right? Uh, at least he can say, hey, I found a new guy. I did something here. So, uh, yeah, it's something that, that that I was thinking about last week as well. Yeah, no, it's true. And, 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 uh, and, and yeah, that's a good point in which I could see Ken Holland saying, you know, yeah, I found an option. Another, another option which comes across as lazy to an extent. It doesn't come across truly as trying to find a solution. And, you know, I don't believe that I don't believe Ken Holland's um, power is as much as, as once. I, I think there's some power still. But I think the bulk of it now, person, is more in the hands of Jeff Jackson uh, going forward here. Yeah, yeah, it's uh definitely seems that way. You know, you look at the the media availability when they uh, hired Chris Knobloch, and there was a a few moments where uh, you could point into that where you're not really too sure who's calling the shots there. So uh, <laughs> it, it looks like it sounds like uh, nothing. I'm not reporting anything; it's pure speculation. Mm-hmm. But it just it feels like the Oilers are doing Ken Holland a solid by not firing him right now, and they're just gonna coast him off into the sunset no matter what happens now do i necessarily agree with that no especially when the the season is such a important one for the edmonton oilers i don't think you can just uh keep a gm just to do him a solid right i think uh Mm -hmm. this would be an opportune time if you were going to make the change do it now and give the next guy in charge a little bit of a head start on things rather than coasting uh holland into retirement so uh yeah, it's 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 a little bit of a circus for uh, the Oilers management at this point as to who's in charge. But, but uh, uh, if, if you've been an Oilers fan for as long as I have, uh, that's nothing new. So it's just the latest chapter, right? And you know, and we know this team. We know for the most part in the front office, there's never truly outside Pierre a true firing. It's always you're promoted or you're assigned differently to like the vice president of like. There's always like this new vice president or a senior role. I'm shocked that hasn't happened yet. Where they where Holland hasn't been moved to like a senior vice president assistant role and you have the interim come in and finish up the year, be it a, be it a Brad Holland or a Keith Gretz, whoever that might be. Yeah, and I think the, the, the conversation about who could potentially be the, the next GM is kind of a, a funny one in Edmonton. Obviously, there was reports uh, last week here or earlier this week that Dave Gagne, who's a player agent, player agent for Wasserman Hockey, uh, could be a candidate to replace Holland. Now, he doesn't have any prior uh, NHL GM experience. He'd be uh, in his first role here in Edmonton. But there is that connection with Jeff Jackson, who obviously helped found Wasserman Hockey. So that's a interesting conversation to have. But uh, another guy I, I think is just funny how we talk about him is Brad Holland, because um, I'm a big fan of him. But if you kind of look at it from an outsider's perspective, it's really weird that a lot of fans are in favor of what can be perceived as a nepotism hire because that is Ken Holland's son. But uh, uh, I think uh, Brad is a, a forward thinking executive in the league. He's been with the Oilers for uh, as an assistant GM for a few years now. Uh, I think he could very I think and he fits that analytics driven mindset that Jeff Jackson seems to hold as well. So I think I think that's probably the leading candidate right now if we were to hire a GM at this moment, right? So, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting at the end of the year, if not sooner. Yeah, no, it really will be in terms of who who comes in and is our next GM for the Oilers in 24-25. And, of course, if you want to get your questions in, your comments, we'll go to the press conference. Please, if you have any comments, concerns, 
fire them off into the SDP and inbox you in the chat section as we wrap things up here on Game Over Edmonton. I know I mentioned this road I mentioned this road trip. I want to ask you. I, I want to ask you. Um, I know you wasn't on most of this road trip due to the fact that he was on the on the dad's trip with his son Jake. But what are your thoughts on this road trip of um, Jamal Mayers tapping in for Louis DeBrus for a couple of games? I think I think they did a great job. I, I love Jamal. Did a great job on the broadcast and Sportsnet. Yeah. No. I I was really impressed with uh, with Jamal in the, those few games. Um, obviously, former player. He knows uh, he knows kind of the ins and outs of the uh, the game, just like Louis. So I think we didn't miss mm-hmm. a lot of that. Um, and to just step up and be on a, uh, on the broadcast for a fan base that is as uh, hyper-focused as the Edmonton Oilers fans are, uh, he did a fantastic job. I've seen nothing but rave reviews from him. Um, obviously, it's, it's, it's big shoes to fill when uh, you come in for Louie, who's been on, uh, oh my, he's, I think he's the only color guy I've ever watched on Oilers local broadcasts. Uh, I grew up with Kevin Quinn and Louie and now Jack and Louie. So uh, uh, big shoes to fill, but I thought he did it fantastically. No, yeah, and yeah, it's not it's not easy going in and being an analyst on a team that you don't uh, cover every single day because Jamal is more in in the studios for Sportsnet. But I thought he did a really good job, and I thought the way he broke down certain plays against um, in the in the games against uh, Tampa, so I thought he was, he was very smart. And you, if you didn't know he didn't usually cover Oilers games, you wouldn't tell. You wouldn't have known. He didn't cover Oilers yeah, games. no, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him uh, in a full time role here soon. Uh, he just he he, I think he aced uh, his uh, kind of test there. Uh, seeing how he would do. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him uh, in between the benches uh, a little more often. No, exactly. And, and, that, and, that, and that goes to show, I goes to show how young you are, person, because I remember, I remember before Alui, I remember, I remember the old color voice was Ray Ferraro, because we had him here. Oh, for I hear about that a lot. Yeah, Ray Ferraro. <laughs> and he was, the funny thing with Ray Ferraro was that like, he was very blunt. Like, Louis, Louis can be at times a diplomat. Like, I, I, I love Louis, though, Louis myself. Like, he, he, he can be very diplomatic. Ray Ferraro at times was very blunt, no nonsense. He called out as he saw, and it was so it was so fun to see because Ray didn't care. Even now at TSN, like Ray is still very blunt in his assessment. But even back then, with Oler, he was calling games in the early to early to mid two thousands. He was very honest about what he saw at at Rexall Place. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what makes Ray Ferraro Ray Ferraro, right? Like mm-hmm. that's why he's one of the best in the biz. So. uh yeah, no, he's. Uh, I missed his uh, tenure with the Oilers by a little bit. I'm, I'm 24 right now. I started watching Oilers hockey when I was about six years old. Uh, fun fact: my first hockey game that I've ever watched on the TV was uh, the Game Seven loss. So uh, oh. I came in. I came in. Uh, I came in at the the roughest times, and then I endured the decade of darkness as a as a teenager. And now I'm in my 20s here. It's been a little bit better, but uh, you know, it's been kind of a blast to a blast to the past for these first few months. Yeah, the decade of dark. That's that's been tough growing up in the the teenage years. Like, <laughs> like your first formative years, seeing this team go through the muck and the days of Victor Faust in net and the days of jersey tossing in multiple games. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, a unique a, a unique time to grow up watching the team. Um, especially because when I look back on one of my favorite players uh, on the Oilers during that time, it's Jeff Duran Delorier. In net, <laughs> very not a uh, uh, your typical favorite player growing up, but uh, that's just uh, what the Oilers did to me uh, in the in the, the, my teenage years. You know, it's funny. I I love Jeff because I I you know you know my favorite boys as well too. And actually, funny, I actually did I actually um did a TV show with Jeff for a couple of years on CTV. I did a, a, a hockey show with him and uh, Jason Strudwick. It was myself, Strudwick, and Jeff Delory talking hockey on CTV for a couple of years. So it's wow. <laughs> 
Uh, very... I'd be starstruck. <laughs> I, I know I did something for the oil rig uh, over the summer uh, where I was writing then. Uh, I ranked, uh, I just did best player for each number and I put Delore in for, I think his number 38. 38. And yeah. uh, he liked the tweet and I, I got uh, kind of starstruck for my first time. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that is, that is funny. That is hilarious here as we'll wrap things up here on Game Over. Edmonton, Preston, where can people find your work? Where can they find your work on the interwebs? Any of you other stuff here covering the Oilers? Yeah, no, I'm a, I am a staff writer for Daily Hive and Offside. So you can find my stuff on Daily Hive Edmonton or Offside. Uh, you can find my tweets on uh, Twitter at NHL Hodgkinson. So that's N-H-L-H-O-D-G-K-I-N-S-O-N. And uh, I tweet there pretty frequently. And there's always stuff going up from Sunday to Thursday from me on Daily Hive. Awesome. Amazing. Thank you so much, Preston, for tapping in to Game Over. Edmonton, got to get you back on here again. It was a wonderful chat with you, buddy. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I, lo- I love being here. No, of course. And anyways, that's it for Game Over Edmonton. I'm out of here. Zach and Dennis are back in the saddle, guiding you through the post-game talk when the Oilers wrap up their game against Anaheim on Sunday. Until next time, I am out of here. Enjoy your weekend. Stay safe.